All right, that song I was playing when you came in uh, is a very old song by a guy named Keith Green. Um, I, just as my, another a little shameless plug for Keith Green, he, uh, his book, his biography called No Compromise, if you want an amazing book, it's one of the top 10 books I've ever read. Amazing book, No Compromise, The Life Story of Keith Green. I'd encourage you to read it. The song you were just listening to is called I Can't Wait to Get to Heaven. Um, again, the music probably isn't something you guys would be into, but... Um, so, all right. Does anybody know what's going on with the lights? If I were getting dark here? No? Is there a light somewhere? Like, maybe there on the wall? Anybody want to see what the deal is? No light switches over there? Bailey, would you... There we go. Give us more lights here. Just give us the full thing. Let there be light. All the light we can. We want lots of light. How about light up front? Yes! Wow. That's fun. Okay, turn them all off. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. All right. No, it's... It's weird. Um, all right. So my name is Rick. Mary Kentucky. Um, I'm excited to talk to you guys about this subject. I think it is super important. And uh, you guys pray with me. Father, thank you for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, that for however long. For eternity or forever long you've been preparing a home for us you are amazing you are powerful all powerful you created the stars you created the universe you're bigger than anything we can even imagine and you have been working and preparing a home for us wow it's going to be amazing father help us to both have a great picture of it but then to also be moved to faith by it I pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to start at the end. Uh, if you didn't know this, I saw a survey uh, that was about the most uncomfortable topics you can talk about with people. The number two most uncomfortable topics you can talk about with people is their personal finances. You know, like you made someone uncomfortable, you're like, yeah, so how much money do you make? Uh, yeah, what do you do with that money? You know, or you spend it like, you're just like, uh, really uncomfortable. Number one, most uncomfortable topic you can bring up with people, death. Right? You know, you don't you know, just talk about it. Right? Hey, yeah. So I was thinking about dying the other day. Okay, this guy's weird, really morbid, right? Number one most uncomfortable topic for our world today. Shouldn't be that way, though, for Christians. Shouldn't. Around, around 1,000 A.D. or so, back in that time period, monks would actually sleep in their caskets at night so that they would never forget that this might be their last day. They would wake up in their casket, a creepy, but they'd be like, this might be my last day. Around the same time period, the theologians of that day would have an actual, real human skull that they would put on their desk 
and face them so that every day they would be reminded death is imminent, death is coming. It's not a topic that people like to talk about, but it is something that as Christians we should learn to embrace. And we kind of go on with why and stuff like that. Obviously, this whole talk has to do with that. But the reason that you don't like it, the reason that people around you don't like to talk about death, is because of the verse in the Bible there that says eternity has been set in your heart. God made you to not want to end. That's He made you that way. We have another verse that says, the only two things last forever, the souls of men and the word of God. So you will last forever. In a sense, you don't die. Not in a sense, in reality, you don't die because you don't end. You don't stop. God set eternity in your heart. And there is no end to you. Feels like an end, right? I heard a great illustration. Uh, the other day, imagine you are uh, an unborn child in the womb. You're just floating. And it's just nice and soft and really comfortable because you're floating in this perfect temperature goo that just makes you feel it's just perfect. And you have your eyes closed and you, you're just, you don't have to see or it's so calm. Peaceful every now and then you hear this gentle singing, that's what it's singing to you. I mean, it's just so calm. You don't have to eat. You know, you just got your food just kind of comes to you, right? You don't have to worry about anything. Man, that's a great life. And suddenly, the goo is gone, right? And you're like, it's getting really tight in here, right? And then you think, I can't fit through there. This is crazy. And no wonder every baby comes out. It's a literal nightmare because suddenly they can see and suddenly they can feel. And they're like, this is freezing out here. What is going on? Right? And they're cutting my food supply. How is this going to work? It's terrifying. Right? If you ever seen a baby born, they look terrified. That's like us. Right? I know it's scary. I know we don't know. Right? Try describing to that baby in the womb what it's going to be like to see or to feel or to eat through your mouth. They'd be like, that sounds really weird. What do you mean? Right? It doesn't make any sense. But that's like it, like for us. You don't end. The baby, just like the baby. The baby didn't stop to exist. Just moved into a different place. And that's like what it'll be like for us. So, let's start moving towards this stuff. And I'm going to try to f- go through this kind of quickly so that I have more time at the end. Because I don't want to run out of stuff uh, or run out of time. But, so Hebrews 9.27. So, we do die, you will die. It will happen. It's after that, and the Bible teaches that you face judgment, you go to heaven. Okay? And 
So here's the thing I just want to say is kind of like a, just a preliminary setup. So currently, there is what's called present heaven. Some scholars call it intermediate heaven. Um, there's different words for it, but basically it's heaven now. Heaven at this point in time, exactly right now, it's called present heaven. You die, you go to present heaven. Here's some scripture here that talks about or references present heaven. Okay, so we have some pictures of what it's like. Um, and it, basically, I'm going to talk a lot about some other aspects of heaven, okay, and eternal heaven. But it's all the same, except for some of the obvious things. Okay, so like heaven now is a real place, but it, the Bible teaches that it's looking down on us, looking down on this place. So it's somewhere up, okay, this real place, wherever it is. But when eternal heaven gets here, it won't be up anymore. Does that make sense? So there'll be some things that will change. But otherwise, everything is pretty much the same. There's a quote here by Matt Chandler that just kind of identifies and helps us maybe have a picture of what heaven is like right now, present heaven. It's a real place, like taking a trip to a real place. It's important, okay? It's not some cloudy, fifth-dimensional world. It's a place. The Bible is clear. It is a real place where Jesus really is. The body and person of Jesus. Like It is a real place, but it is remote from the earth. And it is a place that looks down on the earth. Now, this is all from Scripture, like what we know about it. Okay? So it's this place. There's a chasm that is huge, and present heaven is veiled. So wherever God has it, it's in a, he has it in a way or in a place where we can't see it, and it is veiled from us. You're not going to fly a plane and run into it on accident or anything like that. Okay? But it is veiled from us. Just like when Jesus ascended to present heaven, the clouds blocked the view and no one can see exactly where he went. So that's present heaven. Now, let's talk about heaven and our longing for it. If you look at this verse, this is going to be a key verse that we're going to keep looking to. Two verses, one from the Our Father and the other is 1 Peter 1. The first, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This verse was, I heard someone speak about this verse, one to really challenge me because he's basically saying, you should be praying every day for Jesus to come back. You should be praying, you should be longing for it. You can't wait for it. You're looking forward to it, and because of your anticipation of it, you're praying every day for it. I was like, oh. So when I was a, like a sophomore in high school, I basically fell in love with this girl and I was convinced that she was supposed to be my wife, okay? And so I determined at that point that I was gonna pray every day that she would become my wife because she didn't like me. It was just stupid, who knows, right? <laughs> she like, and she at one point said, Rick, listen, there ain't no future for us. This is the actual conversation I had. I will never date you, we will never go out. And kind of kept asking, you know, and so ain't gonna happen. I was like, I'm gonna pray every day. Right? I was longing. I prayed every day for five years. I never missed a day. Every day for five years, I am praying that this woman would become my wife. I was longing for it, anticipating it. We can identify with something like that, the passion that might go behind that. 
we should be praying and longing like that for Jesus to come back. I'm going to guess that not many of us long for Jesus to come back, like I just described my longing for that woman to become my wife. Right? But we should. And there are many reasons why. And let's talk about some of them. So 1 Peter 1, 13. Preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This verse challenged me because it said, hope fully. Fully. All my hope should be on the coming of Jesus. All of my hope. That's a lot of hope. Because I have hope for a lot of things. You hope for a lot of different things. But yet this verse is telling us we should hope fully. Got the Greek words right there for you to look at. Unfortunately, I'm not sure why the new NIV continues to do this, but they actually left the word fully out of the translation. Your ESV and your NASB have the accurate, I mean, the, the word still in it. But sometimes I wonder if sometimes translators look at things like that and are like, oh, well, I mean, we can't fully hope for heaven, for Jesus to return. That's, that's a little much. It's a little extreme. I mean, you know, you can hope for other things. I'm not so sure that's what God meant. So we hope for something that's familiar to us. Home, God is preparing a home. It's home for us. We want to become more familiar with it, right? Because that's what home is. Like, I, you know, you, you, you finally get to your room. All of you have places that are home to you. And they're home because you're familiar with them. You're, you, there's a certain comfort when you finally get there. And part of the reason that we aren't longing for home, we don't long for heaven, we don't have our hope fully set there, is because we're unfamiliar with it. Right? We have to become more familiar with our home in order to long for it. So, a couple things to help you to become more familiar. One, experience it. You want to experience home, heaven, as much as possible so that you can become more familiar with it. Here's a quote by C.S. Lewis. It says, It was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing these things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. This is important here. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. If you want to experience some of home, and this is cliche, but stop and smell the roses. Right? It's, if you want to identify the good things of here and now, the good things that you experience here, and identify them as scents, just glimpses of the home that is coming and waiting for you. I mean, it could be something as simple as the sun and how great it feels, or flowers that you smell, or whatever it is, and you remember and you think, or the fellowship of friends. Recently, I got together with Two of my old friends, dear friends of mine, they're on Young Life staff now in different places, 
And it was awesome to get to sit with them, to share, to laugh, to catch up. And I literally, in the midst of it, in my joy in being with my old friends, in the midst of it, and as I left from it, kept thinking, this is a glimpse of home. Just a glimpse. And it makes me more familiar with home. It makes me long for home. Another thing that we need to do is we need to imagine home more often. Uh, is there a verse that says not to do that? It's like first, first Corinthians 2, 9, right? It's, no eye can see, no ears heard, how great, right? So why do we even... Let me help with understanding what this is, what we're supposed to do. There's an illustration I think that will help imagining home and what it's supposed to be like. So a true story. There's a girl, she's about 12 or 13 years old, and she had been blind since birth. And, you know, through technology and all the great medicine stuff, they found a way for her to be able to, be able to see. And so... Her mom had not done much of this through most of her life because she was, you know, blind and thought she'd be blind all her life. But uh, her mom had not described what it was like to see very often. So when they found out she's going to have this surgery and be able to see, she starts describing it to her. Oh, it's going to be like this and, and colors and lights and people. And I mean, how do you describe to someone, right? She's trying so hard to describe it. It's like this, and it's like this. So a few months go by, and she's been describing it to her daughter. And the anticipation her daughter has, because of the description that her mom is giving, is just making her so excited to be able to see. She cannot wait, because her mom has told her how awesome it is. Now imagine if that mom, right, the girl's getting the surgery, and the mom been like, oh, ah, seems kind of overrated. I mean, Sometimes I close my eyes all day. It's uh, there, so I don't need to see. It's just not that much fun. No big deal. The daughter would have been like, oh, well, I don't need the surgery. We should do that. I don't know. It's just shit shock, yeah, right? But because the mom described as best she could, the anticipation and the longing of the girl developed, built and built and built. Well, the day finally comes and she has the surgery. And they, they take off the thing off her eyes. And her daughter opens her eyes. And the first thing she says to her mom, Mom, you never told me it would be like this. That's heaven. Right? We talk about it. We anticipate it. We imagine it. And when we finally get there, you're going to be like, Why didn't anybody tell me it was like this? This is amazing. It's the same thing. The same thing, so we need to imagine it, describe it, talk about it, imagining it in our minds of what it will be like. And sure, when we get there, we are going to be like, man, I wasn't even close. But the anticipation and the longing will happen just like it was for that little girl. Number three, we need to talk about it, teach about it, teach others to teach about it. I mean, this is, this is one of the reasons I'm standing here doing this, talking about this subject, because your staff, the people who care for you, are thinking, said, we don't talk about heaven enough. We need to talk about that to people more. Hey, well, will you guys share about that? I mean, that, that's why this happens. 
And it's so true. What a topic that is not talked about. But think about this. I just showed you these verses. You're supposed to set your hope fully on this. And yet we talk about it one out of every 50 talks. It's, I mean, even that. How many lessons, how many times have you listened to someone talk about and teach about heaven this year? How many times have you taught about heaven this year? How many times have you asked your discipleship student who's teaching campaigners to teach about heaven? Of course we don't long for it. Of course we're not praying for it every day because we don't even talk about it. We don't even teach about it. If I were to make a list, and I've done this, I have a list of 10 subjects that need to be talked about in the Christian life that you should always, you know, that we want to focus on in our areas. Like, we're going to make sure we're going to always be covering these 10 things. One of the 10 things is heaven. Literally 10% of our talks, 10%, every 10 lessons I give should be about heaven. You've got to talk about it. We want to become more familiar with it. We want it to be home. All right, let's talk about it a little bit. So eternal heaven, okay? So this is not present heaven. This is eternal heaven that comes when Jesus returns. And it's talked about all over in the Bible. In Revelation 21, here's where it talks about it some, some, some good scripture about it. It's important to understand this about eternal heaven. Eternal heaven is the renewed earth. It is a place. And it is the earth renewed. The Greek there in the Revelation 21, it says new in a lot of translations, but the better Greek translation would be renewed. The renewed earth is where we will be and where we will be at. Romans 8 talks about how all creation is longing for that day when creation itself is set free and God makes it the way it was supposed to be. It's earth. It's here. We're going to be here. Okay? We're not floating away somewhere. We're not in some cloud. We're not in the fifth dimension where we don't really know anything. It is here. This earth. Renewed. And it's going to be awesome. One of my favorite shows forever has always been... Uh, I keep wanting to say Home Improvement, but that's not it. Stream Makeover. Home something. Like that. Right? Stream Home Makeover. Right? You guys know that movie? That show is so that they move the bus. Move that bus, right? It's a great show, right? They take a family who's got, you know, troubles or whatever. Say, hey, go on a vacation for a week. They send them on vacation. Then while they're gone, they completely transform and renew. Right? They don't wipe out, but they renew their home. Make it awesome. Right? I mean, it's just this great, awesome thing. You know, and then the family comes back and they have this huge bus in front of it. And they're standing there and they're like, you ready? And, you know, okay. like, move that bus! And they move the bus. And the family's like, oh, it's a man! And they cry. Everybody's crying. And, oh, and I cry. Everybody cries at that point, right? <laughs> this is so awesome, right? right? And, and literally, it's renewed. It's this new home. And it's so beautiful and amazing. Okay? I'm telling you, this is not doctrinally scriptural, but I would not surprise me if we did a, if God did a move that planet for us. 
Literally, there's thousands and thousands of people, and God's got a big old planet. He's like, are you guys ready? He's like, move that planet. And everybody's like, oh, it's so amazing. It's so awesome. And everybody's crying. We're all crying. We're like, God, this is so great. This is so awesome. It's going to be just like that. I mean, we laugh, but it really is like that. Imagine the feeling of those people as they're in this new home. It's just a small glimpse of what we're going to experience when God has moved that planet. And here's the earth just the way you loved it. It's going to be awesome. And it's going to be a place. And it's going to be better than anything we can imagine. It's going to be awesome. There are so many things about it. Um, you know, uh, things you might not have seen. I've never seen the Northern Lights. Never seen the Grand Canyon. Never seen that kind of stuff. I had a whole group of guys, uh, high school guys, and we used to sit around and talk all the time. And they had been out west before, and they're always like, "Rick, you've got to see the Grand Canyon. It's seriously, you got to see it." I'm like, "I'd love to see it." Well, now those guys are older. It's turned into, well, we can't wait to get to the Grand Canyon. But it's, we all know it's going to wait until we get home. And when we get home, we're going to go see the Grand Canyon. It's going to be awesome. We're going to see that stuff. Northern Lights, whatever it might be. There are things that will be going on at that place in our new earth, our new home, that you will love. There, and it will be different for different people. One of the things that I personally always look forward to, that I anticipate that I'm, I'm like, oh, I can't wait, is the worship. Oh, I can't wait. I, you know, I love to worship. I love to sing. I love music, right? And I'm like, man, it's going to be awesome. And I'll never forget one time, okay, when I, I don't know how many of you guys have ever seen a choir. And I don't mean like a church choir with 10 people, but like a real choir. You know, I saw 150 people. Adult, a choir, I went to a choir concert. I don't remember where I was or why I went, but I remember thinking like, wow, this is great. These 150 people are really loud and it sounds awesome, like, and they're all melodied up together, you know, all the different things they do to harmonize with each other. Like, it was really awesome sounding, this 150-person choir. Well, in Revelations, it lets us know in Revelation 5, that there will be a heavenly choir of angels. And it will be a hundred million angels in one choir singing. Can you imagine? I'm like, I cannot wait. It is going to be awesome. I'm going to just, I mean, I keep thinking, I think about that, and I think, yeah, I would just fall over. I think it's too much for me. My body to like handle I'll never forget when my uh, youngest daughter, she was like five years old when we were at Christmas, and she'd been asking for this like bunny present for she's all she wanted all Christmas. She opens the package, and there it is, and she's standing, she's going, and she fell backwards, literally fell on her back. She was just overwhelmed with joy that she had gotten this present. Couldn't handle it. Her body just kind of shut down. And I think, gosh, that's how I'm going to be when that hundred million angel fires. It's just going to like kill me. I just got to like fall over. There are things about getting home 
that you will love when you get there, that are just for you, whatever those things might be. You've got to find those things. You've got to know those things. You've got to remember those things. When I am worshiping, I often, probably almost 90 plus percent of the time when I'm worshiping, I think about home. This is awesome. I'm, I'm loving the worship and I think, man, it's going to be crazy when I get home. This is just a glimpse, some small scent of what it's going to be like. In eternal heaven, you will have your body. Another thing that we have kind of forget and don't really realize, right? Your body now, yes, it will fail you. I know you're young. We don't, a lot of people your age, that's not really a common thing that you think about. I was your age once, totally get it. So this, this fall, this past fall, or maybe it was two falls ago, I can't remember, but whatever, I, um, my knee had always bothered me a little bit. Well, one day, like, I'm like, wake up, literally wake up, and I'm like, okay, it's bothering me a lot. And for like a month, this is how I would go around here. Right? And I didn't try not to limp. I'd be like, you know, trying not to limp, but it hurts so bad. So finally, I go to the doctor, and he's like, uh, yeah, they run tests. He's like, yeah, we got to do surgery. You got it's like messed up in there or whatever. So, all right, go in. They do knee surgery, right? Get out, do the post-op thing. And I'm going afterwards, go see the doctor as I'm getting better. He's like, well, he's like, yeah, we've got it fixed up. And he said, but uh, it's really messed up in there. He said, uh, yeah, you're going to need probably a knee replacement in a couple of years. And it will never stop hurting. Everybody heals. What do you mean never stop hurting? Yeah, it's never going to stop. And this guy is kind of a friend. He goes to our church. And you know, he's like, Rick, I know you know this, but your body's going to fail you. It's going to stop. I'm like, ah, yeah, this sucks. Okay. But you have to know the same will happen. That's going to happen to your body. It's just a matter of time. But, like it says in Romans 8 there, our bodies long for the day that Jesus returns. You long for this because you're going to get your body, but awesome. Like it's going to be the way it was meant to be. It will be you. It's your body. It's not like some other body. It's not like putting your soul in some other body and making a mistake. It's you. You and your body. This is, it's all in Corinthians 1 Corinthians 15. You can read all about it. Very clear. You will have your body to walk around the new earth, to talk to people, to be with people, and you will be you. Here are some things that are important. First, you will know what you, you can know what your body will be like. We can know what our resurrected bodies are like by looking at the first of the resurrected bodies, which was Jesus. Do you want to know what things are like? You can look at Jesus. And all these things I'm sitting talking about here are all found in Jesus. Okay? First, you are you. And this is a big one. Because I think people, this is the thing that we kind of aren't sure about. Like, so, we get to heaven. This is a lot of singing and praising God. And, uh, so am I just like this robot? I'm just kind of like 
sing and then I move to the left for a thousand years and sing some more, right? Like, no. You are you. In fact, the Bible, I would say, not only are you you, but you are the you that you, you are now, whoever you are now and whoever you are becoming, as you walk through this life, will be exactly who you are when you get home. Which can be a scary thought in some reasons, but you will be you even more than you are now. If that makes any sense, but I promise you are you. You know who you are. You remember. Jesus remembered. It wasn't like you get to heaven and you're like, I don't remember anything. What? What's my name? Where? No, no. Jesus even had the scars that he knew. He talked to the disciples. There's no like, like, wait, who are you guys again? What happened? Oh, there was a cross? Oh, that's terrible, right? No, that wasn't Jesus, right? You will be you. You will know. You will remember. There's a verse in Revelation that even insinuates that you'll get a nickname. That nickname will be perfect for you. It won't be, oh, I'm a new person. It'll be like, like it'll be a, like I had a high school baseball coach when I was a sophomore that he would give us all nicknames. He thought it was so fun. And he was like, okay, Rick, Rick Shear, uh, you shear sheep, and uh, little Bo Peep takes care of sheep, and so Bobo, that'd be your nickname, Bobo. And I was like, yes! Bobo! I was a sophomore guy, right? I'm like, that's awesome! My nickname's Bobo! But meant nothing! Right? Jesus will give you a nickname that will mean everything. Like Peter or like Paul, they got the same thing, and it'll mean something. And when it's given to you, you'll be like, Oh, that's perfect, that is that's me, it's totally me. You will be you. Here's another super important thing to understand we get this in First Corinthians 13 things will clear up, there will be clarity now. Hear this. Look at me. You are now living a dream. This is the dream. When you die, when Jesus returns, that will be when things will be clear. That is when things will clear up. That is when the dream will end. And you'll be like, oh, everything makes us a sense. And the colors are brighter. And the tastes are t- tastier. And everything I feel is greater. And it's, everything is so much more clearer. That's what's coming. Do not, do not believe the lie that this is clarity and that is a dream. That's not what God teaches us. It is not true. Things will clear up. Now is the dream. And you will have a super body. Pretty awesome, right? Jesus did some pretty cool things. He walked through a wall at one point. You're like, that'll be fun, right? It like, surprised people. Like, hey, you know, I jumped through the wall, okay? Or you can, you know, do all kinds of fun stuff. Like, your body is now made, and this is the best way to think of it. Your body is now made for the presence of God. 
This is a story of Moses in the Old Testament where God says, God, Moses says, hey, I want to see you, God. And God says, dude, Moses, if you saw me, you'd like fry up in, in a second. You can't handle that. Your body is not made for that. So Moses, so God was like, I'll let you see the tail end. Or I'll let you just see me as I fly away or as I, I go away. And even that totally fried Moses, right? Because he couldn't see God himself. Couldn't be in the presence of God without totally blowing up. I feel that way, right? Like I was describing that with the worship thing, right? It's like, I, I, don't, I, couldn't, I don't think I could handle a hundred million angel choir. I, my, this body here, would I think blow up or fall over or just shut down? It would, it's not made for that. My super body, my new body, my resurrected body, my renewed body will be made for that. So the greatest joys that I know in worship, for example, that plateau at this point where I would just shut down, are now the, probably the beginning of the joy as it escalates beyond what I can even imagine now. Because my body is made for it. Made for joy. Made for heaven. Made for this eternity. This eternal earth. This place. In heaven you will work. You will reign. There will be time. You will have fellowship. You will have the best of excitement and pleasure. Um, I'm not going to go into a ton of details about this kind of stuff. I, a uh, pastor I heard once, of, of my, my pastor recently talked about it once, as the oohs and the ahs. And I thought it was such a cool example, okay? Because if you think about it, it's like two things that you experience here a lot that are awesome. One is called the oohs. That's the excitement, right? So you're going down a zip line. Well, not for us. We're like veteran zipliners, so it doesn't really mean anything to us. But for that first high school kid who goes down the zip line for the first time, they're like, Right? It's the ooze. And you experience other things that are exciting. You're like, oh, this is so exciting. This is great. The ooze. And then there's the ahs. And all I have to do is say, ah. And you're like, ah, I can picture something. Sitting on a warm beach. The sun. I can picture, especially now, weather is terrible, right? Or warm bath or whatever. Great meal. But it's, it's that feeling of, in heaven, we will experience the oohs and the ahs all the time. That will be, we literally will be on the earth, and all we will get to do to be like, every day will be like, ah! I mean, it'll be awesome, right? It'll be the, the things that we long for, and it will come through so many different ways, and there are a bunch of different things here. The splendor, the mysteries, comfort, protection, joy, satisfaction. When I think of the splendor, uh, I think of, I always think of the sun. So I don't know about you guys, and maybe it's because I live in Cincinnati where it's like cold half the time or whatever. And, but I, you know, you love the sun. And I don't even know how this works, to be honest, but there's something called serotonin. And I don't even know if that's something the sun gives you or... Maybe it's in you and it gets bigger or something with the sun. I'm not sure. I'm no scientist, that's for sure. So I have no idea. But I do know that the sun helps you have serotonin. And serotonin, when people bring that up, they're always like, 
I just feel great. I had a lot of serotonin today. It, is, you know, it just feels good. It's like somehow it helps you to have this high, right? This positive feeling, a serotonin high. Heaven will be like a serotonin trip. I mean, it's going to be amazing, right? Your serotonin levels are going to go through the roof. You're going to be like, man, the serotonin is killing me today. This is so great. Right? But that's, that's the reality. Because you know in the scriptures how much the sun and light are a part of heaven. Do you know that? It's a huge part. I mean, it might as well say, hey, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of that serotonin thing here on earth. Just a little taste. You like that? You like that? Just a little bit? Man, we got storehouses of that stuff up here. You're going to be, it's going to be awesome. That's what heaven will be like. All right, we're going to shift gears slightly. Therefore, set your hope fully. We've been talking about what that means. What changes now? What changes now? Turn the page. This is the application. This is the faith. This is the part that I wish I had left more time for, and I'm going to try to get through this. That is really important. Look at this quote by C.S. Lewis. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most... For this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles, English evangelicals, great men in the Middle Ages, all left their mark on earth. Precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective. If you want to be a Christian... It changes the world. You have to not care about the world. If you want to be a Christian, it changes the world. You have to not care about the world. Have no investment here. I mean, it's so crazy. Imagine this. Imagine we're on a plane. We're getting on a plane in New York. We're going to California. It's like a four or five hour plane ride. We get on. It's a nice sized plane, but we sit down, and there's a guy next to us, and he says to both of us, he says, hey, I'll give you each 50 bucks if you guys move to the back. There's empty seats back there, so I can have your seats. You'd be like, yeah, give me 50 bucks. I'll move to the back. That's great. Whatever. I'll move to the back, because I know those seats are worse back there. You know, they're a little bit smaller. Are you sure? Yeah, that's cool. I'll do that. So, right, you head to the back. And then the guy, right, you kind of see what is going on up there. You're like, okay, this is kind of weird. Like, suddenly he's putting up sheets around his three seats. And he's kind of looking out and he's like, what are you doing? I just want some privacy. You know, I just want, you know, right? And he sets up a little TV in there. So I just want to be comfortable. And then he starts selling food out of there. He's like, hey, I got peanuts, $3. Plane charging four, right? I'll give you three. It's like, I'm just making some money, right? Well, what are you making money for? It's like, oh, I'm going to buy a bunch of pillows from the airlines. Make my area here really soft. So he does it. He like buys all these pillows, and he's, he's got this area, and there's all these pillows, and it's super soft, and it's cut off, and he's got a TV, and he's relaxing. And you're like, man. And you're thinking, does he know this plane ride is going to be over in one hour? Everyone on the plane would be looking at that guy and be like, that dude is an idiot. 
but it was zero. Investing in this plane like that. Why are we a bunch of idiots? What are you doing? You're investing in this plane ride, and it's gonna be over. It's gonna stop. You would be looking at that guy up front who's doing all that stuff and making that investment in the plane ride, and you'd be thinking, he can't take that stuff off the plane. What is he thinking? It's over. When we get off the plane, there's nothing else. He can't even take it. He's so stupid. How stupid are we? What are we doing? Our investment. We're trying so hard on this plane ride because this is what we're on. You are on a plane ride. And it will be over. And relative to your life, to eternity, it is just a short plane ride. Why are we so stupid like that? There's a war going on around us. And yet, we want to engage in the comforts that we can create. There was this, a movie, maybe I think Saving Private Ryan, that came out a while back. And it was this really graphic illustration of what happened on D-Day when our soldiers stormed Normandy Beach. And it was gruesome. People dying everywhere, gunfire everywhere, complete chaos. Thousands and thousands of soldiers storming this beach and thousands dying and, and people keep coming. And if you saw the movie, it was gruesome. What would it have been like if people, if soldiers, oh, this beach is, this beach is nice in the sun. I'm going to just get a tan while I'm here and I'll just lay down and take, take some time to relax. Conversations that I've had with my young friends, and I talked about them wanting to take me to the Grand Canyon. Well, Rick, why wouldn't we just go? Why wouldn't we do that? And one of the things I say, listen, when we get home, we'll have time to do that. But now, we're in a war. There's, I don't have time to sit on the beach. How can, I will do that a lot. I can't wait. But I'm not going to storm the beach with my soldier friends and stop and get a tan while they're fighting, while people are dying around me. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That word, therefore, comes after all of the stuff about your renewed body and about heaven. In Hebrews 11, we learn about our, all the saints that went before us and how heaven was their picture. They didn't care about this earth, this life. They cared about the next. And it freed them up to live by faith and to live passionately for Christ. I mean, you guys have all seen the movie Braveheart or Gladiator, right? Have we still seen that? Or am I too old? Okay, I hope most of you have seen those movies, right? I mean, the whole premise of those movies, the whole premise of William Wallace and Braveheart, why he was able to be the way he was, was at the beginning of the movie, you clearly understand that he decided, what? I don't care about this life anymore. That is exactly what happened. He basically says, I don't care anymore. For 
But it came because he said, this world got nothing for me. Nothing for me. What about us? Can you, this world got nothing for me. Nothing for me anymore. Let's go. And you walk in faith, you step out. I want to give you guys an illustration, share with you an illustration that has meant a lot to me. When I was a senior in high school, my Young Life leader shared, kind of shared this with me. Um, I have changed it a lot and jazzed it up a lot. But, um, but I want to share with you the same illustration because it meant a lot to me and impacted me greatly when it comes to what we're talking about. So this might be kind of weird, but I want you to put your papers down. You're not going to need a pen. I want you to relax, sit back. I would ask you probably even to close your eyes because I'm just going to talk. About 10 minutes, I'm going to describe something to you. And I want you to imagine with me. Imagine a situation. Okay? Try not to fall asleep. I know it's been early for all of us, okay? I want you to imagine, and I know this is a, a story. This is not a meant to be an accurate doctrinal thesis on the end times, so please don't get caught up in the story part when it comes to that. But imagine this story with me, if you will. Imagine that you are just minding your own business at home. There you are, sitting in your home, your family and friends, they're gone. You're by yourself. They've gone off to work or school or otherwise. And you hear this commotion outside. Like, wow, what's, what's going on? So you, so you go outside to see what's happening. And there's people everywhere, on the street and everywhere. And they're all looking up. And as you look up, you can't believe your eyes. And you see hundreds, probably thousands of angels. They've got to be angels racing through the sky. And they look amazing. They're confident and strong. They don't have wings or anything like you might have thought. They look more like a warrior. They look more like superheroes or something. All in going through the sky. And the number of angels you see off in the distance starts to increase. And you can see coming with them what looks like the king. It's got to be the king. It's got to be Jesus. It's his huge white horse he's riding on. And his eyes are fierce and fiery. And his robe is flowing off behind him. And it looks like it's draped in blood. His crown is simple but dazzlingly beautiful. And behind him come a ton more of these angel warriors all riding horses. And at this point, you kind of realize what's happening. You're like, okay, I've heard about this. I heard this might happen someday. And instead of being panicked or having a great fear for yourself or your loved ones, you have an overwhelming peace. And you notice that the craziest sight, that there is this giant heavenly escalator. It's huge. At the base of the escalator, it looks like a thousand people can fit on at one time. And the angels are corralling people towards it. And people are getting on to this giant escalator. 
that just heads up into the sky. And so you walk on over, and you also get on the escalator. And it's not slow, but it's not fast. And you look around you, and you're not sure how the people got there that are around you, but you are surrounded by people of different races, nationalities, and, and all kinds of different people, and people are so excited around you. And you can feel the excitement. And most everyone seems to be talking and sharing stories. And so you strike up a conversation with some people near to you. You start talking to an older Chinese gentleman next to you, and he speaks perfect English. And as you guys begin to share life stories, you find out that he had a much different life than you. He heard the gospel through his secret church in his home village. They only had one copy of the Bible for their whole church. And they all would share it, and they'd write down excerpts from it. And at one point, you compliment him on his excellent English. And then he replies, that's so funny. I was about to ask you how you learned to speak Chinese so well. Then a verse comes to your mind that you think you might have memorized a long time ago. Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. As your giant escalator that you're on continues to take you upward, you begin to notice that it's slowly narrowing. At first you weren't sure, but you can tell as you look up ahead, it, it definitely is starting to narrow some. And the warrior angel, angels are still everywhere, and although they look powerful and such, they still do have this kind of welcoming look on their face, almost as if they've been waiting a long time to finally be where they are now. The angels are stopping here and there and interacting with some of the people. And one of them near you is clearly like a head angel of some type. He clearly is really important. He's like even bigger than the others. He's giving instructions. Um, looks really awesome. So you kind of shimmy over to him, and you're like, uh, hey, this is really unbelievable, isn't it? Have you been looking forward to this for a long time? And in an odd gesture, he, he practically bows towards you when he realizes you're speaking to him. And he responds in a very friendly manner. Oh, yes, oh, yes, the time is finally here. And then you say to him, well, you're clearly in charge of a lot of things around here, and uh, you've probably seen some pretty amazing things. And at this, the angel looks at you with a somber but very intense look. With a great amount of passion, he says to you, Nothing I have seen or heard compares to what you have seen and will continue to see. I wish that I were able to see like you. At this, another verse comes to your mind, 1 Peter 1.12, that says, In the things that have been announced to you, and in the good news that has been preached to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, these are things which angels even long to look. You're not sure if you actually memorized that verse before, but it seems like maybe this escalator is helping you with the whole Bible verse thing, which you're super thankful for at this time, of course. Now the escalator continues to narrow, and it's maybe down to 25 people wide or so now. It's not super crowded or anything, like moving about. So people are moving about slightly here and there to talk to others. There are a few even sitting and talking to each other. You notice one person who has several people around him asking questions and talking with him. You walk over and listen as he is encouraging others about their faith. 
He looks so familiar in some ways, but you don't recognize his face. And he immediately starts to walk over to you when he sees you, to come talk to you. And he says to you, oh, we've been watching you for these last few decades. And you're like, watching me? And then another verse comes to your mind, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Those witnesses from Hebrews 11 are all the saints that have gone to heaven before you. And you realize that. And the man says then to you, you and I are so much alike. I was cheering for you all the time. Something deep in you suddenly connects with him. Peter? Tears start in both your eyes and you embrace. And then you say to Peter, Peter, I've been so up and down all my life. But your life story has always filled me with such courage and hope. You have so much to say to Peter about how you identified with him and so many ups and downs that he had. You have so many questions that fill your mind. And you start trying to get all of them out at once. And you begin to have a great conversation. Now, Peter is quite popular, as expected, so you don't take up too much of his time. And the escalator is continuing to narrow. And although just as before, there's plenty of space to kind of move around, it's still, it's now only about four or five people wide. And now up ahead, you can see where the escalator is headed. The most unbelievable and beautiful city you've ever seen. It is just as if it's there resting on top of a mountain. It seems to come from the clouds below, but it is a monstrous, huge, amazing city. You've never seen a city like this, if you can even call it a city. It looks like it's the size of a country. You're completely baffled by how something so huge could have been hidden. But there it is. With the sight of the city and the narrowing of the escalator, your mind starts to consider what's at the end of this climb. Verses start coming to your mind and anxiety starts to build. But before you get too far into thinking about it, you are suddenly slammed into not in a harsh, knockdown kind of way, but you're being violently embraced. And you look down, and it's Jimmy. You led him to Christ as a sophomore in high school. And then you spent many years with him, helping him to learn to follow Jesus. And then coming up behind him are others, Johnny and Maggie and Steve and Sean and Susan and many others. And they are so excited to see you. They're expressing such vibrant thank yous. You are so overwhelmed at the sight of these dear friends. The amount of joy you feel in that moment is greater than the greatest joy you ever felt on earth. Everyone's crying. Everyone's speaking so fast and so much. And as you quietly listen with such a feeling of joy and proudness, you remember the verse, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope? our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. After catching up for a while on the escalator, you continue to get closer to the city and it continues to narrow. It is now down to enough room for only one person. Conversations amongst people nearby has slowed to almost nothing as everyone is basically starting to be consumed with the thoughts of what's at the end of the escalator. 
No one else but you fits on the escalator. When you get off, it will be just you. Just the life you've lived, just the person you've become. Ahead now, you can see, one at a time, people getting off and being led through a gate into a large building. So many things start running through your head as you begin to see the end. The verse, Hebrews 9.27, comes to mind, just as the man is destined to die once and then after that face judgment, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, to be face to face with that fierce warrior king you saw in the sky seems too great a thought to handle. You even feel a little sick about it. What will he think? What will he say? What will he do? Every decision you've ever made from the day you were born starts flooding back to your memory. So many regrets, so many. Every decision you've ever made without looking at it through this moment seems so stupid now. Closer and closer you get to the top. And now there's only one person ahead of you on the escalator. The anticipation of this event seems like it might overwhelm you to the point of fainting, but your body seems to hold steady. And now you're next. The angel motions you to follow him through the gate and door. You're walking along, you see some angels on the side talking together, and they're looking at you. And one of them says, just loud enough that you catch it, there he is. Before you can process that, you walk through the door, and you hear your name announced as you enter what is the greatest and grandest throne room you could have ever imagined. Amazing music playing, beautiful angels singing, exclaiming praises. You immediately look at the throne and catch the fierce eyes of Jesus, but only for a second, though, because the idea of what's happening does start to overtake you. At that moment, you have equally overwhelming feelings to run to Jesus, but yet to fall prostrate on the ground at the same time. It's possible you might have dropped to a knee for that moment. You're unsure, but you realize suddenly that all the singing and praises has stopped completely. And you are gently being stood up straight by two hands on either shoulder. Jesus had come running down off the throne and was now two feet from you, holding you. Nothing, absolutely nothing that has ever happened in your lifetime, your entire lifetime mattered like this moment did now. You wish with every fiber of your being that every decision, big or small, had been run through the filter of this moment. Then with the warmest look imaginable, Jesus says, I'm so proud of you. Well done. Well done, my son. You were fun to watch. My son, the greatest joys you've ever known up till now not even worthy of what I've been preparing for you here. Come, let me show you. And he embraces you as you begin to weep, and he gently guides you towards your new home. Father, thank you so much for your amazing love for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you have been preparing a home for us. Thank you, Lord, that we are your children. And that by grace alone, we are accepted. Oh, Father, help us to run every moment of our lives, every decision that we make, big or small. From this day forward, Lord, help us every decision to run it through the filter of that moment.
when we will be with you, when we will see you face to face at the end. Help us, Jesus, to be courageous, to step out in faith, and to always, always remember what you're preparing for us. Always bring to mind the home that's coming. Give us courage to not get caught up in this world, but to have no care for it, so that we might be people who change it for your glory. We're so thankful, Jesus, for your love for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.